Hey, y'all. This is Curtis. Um, I wanted to just quickly give our longtime listeners and hashtag fans a heads up. Um, we have changed our theme song, and I wanted to give a shout out to Namekian Silk, the artist uh, who um, wrote our new theme song called All Real Films that you'll hear in a moment. Um, we're going to post some links on our Twitter and Instagram, uh, kind of giving you, uh, giving him a shout out so you can check out some of his other stuff. But we are super, super grateful to Namekian Silk. Unfortunately, we recorded this episode before the song was finalized, so we couldn't you know, talk about it on the pod. So I wanted to give him a quick shout out before we began. And uh, here we go. Enjoy the new song and enjoy the pod. Thanks, folks. episode right after we record a mini review because i'm all warmed up yeah it's always good to do that i got my pipes working and everything yeah. <laughs> i'm ready to start bloviating i'm a little uh, <laughs> i'm a little drunk i'm a little toasted for my drink <laughs> anyway okay. welcome ladies germs and people of all genders to the ah real films podcast a podcast hosted by two siblings who discuss a different horror theme every week and this the- week's theme is body horror. My name is Curtis Oblivion, and my co-host is... Shit, that is so good. <laughs> you needed to think of it. I was I was just going to See, be, now I, when, when no, you host, that's all I think of. Okay, No, go I know what it is. It's Taylor the Tail, but yours is way better. <laughs> oh, Taylor the Tail. Gross. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, with that, before we get into it, um, Taylor, you want to tell the listeners what you're drinking today? I... Could not be more excited to talk about it. I'm I told her, I just told her before we got on mic that it looks like she's just drinking a big mug of coffee. <laughs> well, I'm quite toasty right now. Um, so I do not recommend, ladies, hear me out. You know when you send your man into the store and he comes out with just the most random shit? I'm sure all the, well, I'm sure all the people who date men in the audience can relate. Well, I sent Justin into World Market by himself, which was probably the uh, best slash worst decision of my life. He came out with the most random assortment of items I think I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. And one of them was a bottle of Stroopwafel liqueur. So, you know, Stroopwafel, huh. like those little cookies with the caramel center? Yeah, they're like tiny waffles, basically. Oh, God, they're so yeah. freaking good. So this is like Stroopwafel um, flavored liqueur. And I mixed it with some birch beer, and it is oh a delicious concoction. You're gonna like get diabetes just drinking that. <laughs> I know. Well. I'm like, I'm like literally sweating. I mean, it's 98 <laughs> degrees outside, but also yeah. it is hot 
as hell in Florida, folks. Okay. I, I'm sure most of you listening to this podcast are live in Florida, but it is yeah. just ridiculous it here. It is so toasty. I, I had to. I have to walk about two blocks to get to my car from work, and I was, you know, obviously in pants and a long sleeve shirt walking to my car. By the time I got to my car, it was as if I had jumped in a pool or something. The pit it stains. Was, I'm sure we're just reaching. They're permanent all the way at this point. Room. It's it's awful. Uh, there's the best and worst part of Florida is the summer. Um, and speaking of Florida in the summer. The thing I'm drinking today, I actually posted about on our Twitter. I'm plugging the Twitter hard nowadays. I posted about it on our Twitter uh, on Saturday. It is the Funky Buddha Vibin Groovable Lager, which is the dumbest sounding drink of all time. But check this check this can out. Literally every single beer that you drink on this show has the stupidest name. <laughs> look at this. Look at, look at how much that girl's chilling on the beer. Damn. But anyway... Dumb, dumb name. Funky Buddha is a great Florida brewery, though. This lager is delicious, and it is literally the most perfect beer to drink when it's 100 degrees outside and 100% humidity. So I will give it that much. Um, I was sitting here. Uh, I, I, I had a sporting thing that I watched on Saturday that was causing me a great amount of distress. I sat here, drank about four of these babies, and felt a lot better. <laughs> even though I was. Win? They did. They won the European I saw, Championship. I saw in your hashtag stories. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a little peel behind the curtain, folks. That's my personal Instagram. Uh, only <laughs> friends get to access that. Whoa. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm a few uh, groovable loggers deep, so let's just get nice. into this topic then. So body horror. What is body horror? Taylor, What what is body horror? I mean, what when I – this isn't – I think this is a phrase in horror that is more – used than it than actual movies exist i feel like a lot of things are labeled body horror when they maybe really aren't so what is body horror to you you dumb Hmm. plebeian (laughs) (laughs) oh my god um i've always thought of body horror as and i know this sounds like kind of stupid but i've always thought as body horror as horror films that scare us mostly because they display a violation of of a body, you know, that we recognize. So, like a human oh. body. Um, yeah, that's pretty much correct. You did a oh. good, good, good for you. I, who's a stupid plebeian now? Then <laughs> you would win Jeopardy. Good for you. <laughs> I'm very good at Jeopardy. Um, but yeah, like, because we picked, I would say, two kind of different ends of the spectrum of body mm-hmm. horror to discuss today. But I would say anything that like. Because so many horror movies disfigure a, a body, yes. like, you know, a slasher and stuff like that. And but I think I would, that's why it's, like, such a commonly used phrase right. to describe a movie. Right. But when I think of body horror, I think of, like, I mean, I think the classic one is, like, The Fly, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll get into. You know, I think mm-hmm. of things where it's, like, the transformation of a human body is what is scaring us. Basically. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll just, I'll just piggyback on what you say and kind of go into a little bit of... I guess a more formal definition of body horror. Um, I have, as I showed Taylor before we started this episode, I, this is probably the topic I've been most excited to talk about. Cause some of my favorite movies are in this genre. Cause they're so gross. I talked about society on a recent podcast. That's a body horror film as well that I considered doing, but ended up picking the movie I did this time. But um, I was really excited. But so I'll try and get through this as quickly as possible, so this doesn't go into the three-hour mark like our uh, <laughs> Carpenter Pod on who will survive. <laughs> that was fun. Plugging that one say. again. It was, hey guys, absolutely. what's up? No, you're yeah, listening. what's up? Uh, so, um, what is body horror? According to uh, Linda Williams, who's a film scholar, she wrote the book "Film Bodies: Gender, Genre, and Excess." It is one of the gross genres of excess, is what she calls it, and. Uh, body horror it gets lumped in with melodrama and pornography. Believe it or not, as 
the uh, three genres where the kind of the success of the film is often measured by the degree to which the audience sensation mimics what is seen on the screen. So compare that to something like, you know, uh, Game of Thrones or something. You know, you're, the success of Game of Thrones, as we saw in the most recent season, depends on like character development, story, things of like that, like uh, things like that. Whereas body horror, the success is d- dependent on the terror that the characters are experiencing, like what you're seeing on screen. Porn, success is dependent on the, you know, arousal that you get from the characters on screen. Melodrama, the sympathy that you can get from the characters on screen. So these are very, like, kind of very different genres, but they're very unique in that aspect. And body horror is kind of, you could say, yes, I, I think Linda Williams is more talking about general horror, but body horror is unique in this respect because, again, it is damage done to body. Everybody has a body. Everybody can relate to what, even if what's happening to the characters on screen is not realistic, everybody can have a fear of what is occurring to those bodies on screen. And just to kind of differentiate body horror from general horror, um, body horror has to do with violations and distortions of the body that are rarely the result of immediate or initial violence. So kind of what we were talking about, kind of, you know, you think of a slasher film, for example, the the horror like there is damage done to the body but it's because of the initial violence you know like a axe chop or something whereas body horror is almost like a transformative think of the fly that kind of stuff so not to get too nerdy here but that's kind of how you differentiate the two right and i actually had this thought kind of what you were saying about how um it's about the transformation because we had an episode episode nine new year new me um and that was supposed to be about films about personal transformation. And, and my pick um, starry eyes to me is a body horror film because, you know, she undergoes kind of a physical transformation and I hadn't really ever thought about it that way. But as I was, cause I thought about like, well, what is, what do I think, you know, body horror is? And I was like, that's kind of what it seems like to me. And I I think it's not always transformation for the better. Obviously it's usually for the worse. Um, But I would also describe it as like, films about body transformations and like mm. modifications and stuff like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think starry eyes is a great example of a body horror film. So we definitely have talked about, excuse me, uh, these types of films in the, uh, in our past episodes. And again, but starry eyes is a great example of it. Um, so, um, just to get into a little, um, little bit of history and I'll go through this real quickly. Um, sort of the origin of body horror, uh, was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein actually in 1818, Um, Because you think about it as opposed to, um, you know, things happening to people, the horror comes from the monstrosity of Frankenstein and the kind of, you know, modifications that are made to his body. Um, You know, in uh, in Frankenstein, the body of Frankenstein is kind of the locus of the fear and um, that, it you know, I think Mary Shelley in that book is kind of suggesting that... um, it's like people or bodies that actually terrify people and not necessarily like the idea that we're perhaps more afraid of our bodies changing than we are of even like of death itself. And that's kind of like, I think like an essential theme of body horror and a person who really personifies this in his films is I think probably the godfather of body horror, David Cronenberg, who we will discuss a lot in this episode. Um, His first film uh, her first major, major film was the film Shivers, which was about a parasite that infects people, causing them to have, behave really violently, kind of transforming their consciousness to make them act crazy and kill people. Uh, his film after that, Rabbit, is um, a woman who develops a growth under her arm that she uses to feed on people's blood and infect them, like a little thing comes out of her armpit. And um, 
It's a very gross movie. It's dope. Love um, it. But he also, uh, of course, made uh, the film I'll be talking about today, but he also made The Fly, as we said. He made Scanners, which is the movie where the famously the guy's head explodes, um, and it looks really, really cool. Um, he also adapted Naked Lunch, which was previously seen as a film that was unadaptable, kind of like um, we talked about Gerald's Game on an earlier episode, which was also considered unadaptable. Um, and... Um, Film critic David uh, Stephen Carver and uh, David he wrote in David Cronenberg's Creative Manifesto that Cronenberg approaches the human condition through the unconscious and physical processes of the thinking animal with an extreme existentialism that celebrates the body in all its disgusting glory, while admitting that the horror of the individual consciousness trapped within an ever declaring flesh. So I I want to ask you why um, why body horror is so scary to you because I kind of disagree with the statement that I just read from that. Cause I think it's, I don't think Cronenberg is, is celebrating anything in any of his films. So I do kind of disagree with that. Um, and I think part of the reason why these body horror films are so scary, and especially David Cronenberg's body horror films is because there's just like a breakdown of the body. But why, I mean, why do you, I, you've kind of explained it already, but what is like, why is it something like, a body horror film like the two films we're discussing today why is that so much scarier than a slasher where guys going around killing people why are we able to like laugh at someone killing people but there really aren't any funny body horror films i think it's pretty simple i think everyone can relate to their body changing in uncomfortable and new ways because we all go through puberty like there's oh, yeah. so it's many <laughs> films and tv shows and books about puberty and about how weird it is and about how scary it can be and i think we all have that like knowledge within us about like not knowing why you know certain things are kind of like happening to us or even if we do know why like not accepting it or whatever the case may be like i think uh you know 0.00001% of the population will deal with like a mass shooter or like a slasher or something like that. Whereas like body horror, I think is something we can all relate to. Like, have you ever done, I mean, I know for a fact you've done something like with, you know, like you've popped a zit or something and you've been like, wow, I just disgusted myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Or even like, you know, spraining an ankle, like the visceral fear that you get from like hurting yourself is like, you know, in that moment that it's occurring, you just like, something in your brain just like screams out. You're just like, yeah. oh my fucking God, this is the, horrible. The last time um, I've broken a few bones, the last time I broke a bone, it was because I was in a very minor car accident. It was not anything serious, but I did break my Taylor, wrist. are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm fine. Um, I did break my wrist and I don't even remember it hurting, but my adrenaline was pumping. I was sweating so hard because I was so freaked out by like, this outside uncontrollable change to my body like your body just does and it like does weird stuff of its own accord you know like and so I think that's why body horror is so scary because we can imagine that happening to us so much more than we can imagine like being killed by a slasher or like you know having a stalker or or other scary things that happen in films I totally agree and there's something about like the fragility of the human body being like taken advantage of to scare us in these films that is really kind of kind of like hits a nerve with me yeah. like it's uh, kind of it, sick honestly it's like it really nerve. is and i think that's why david cronenberg's such like uh uh you know a brilliant filmmaker uh, is that you know he takes this idea of you know human fragility and manipulates it but also kind of suggests that you know 
changes in your body can also change like who you are. And you again, I'm using The Fly as an example because I think that's his most viewed film. But like as Jeff Goldblum is transforming to The Fly, his like behavior is changing. His you know the who he is is changing, and it has more. It has to do more than just with like his appearance. And I think puberty is a really good um, kind of comparison point. Not not that I think folks that The Fly is about puberty. I I do not think that, but the it, you know puberty is a great example of kind of like this body consciousness thing like not only is your body changing like your hormones is causing a change in attitude it's kind of going to be right. super angsty and yell at your mom and all this right. stuff and <laughs> I, I never think did that mom did i so mm, just saying. <laughs> i don't know about that uh anyway uh, um i think this this concept it's not just the fragility of the human body but like cha- the idea that changes in your body like these just grotesque Changes in your body that are occurring in these films could change who you are as a person is also like just super scary. And to me is kind of like, again, I'm so excited to do this episode because to me, body horror is like the ultimate version of horror. Yeah. And I like your point too about it. Like it is like it kind of forces you to ask like, what is me and like, what is my body? You know, like, would I still be the same person in a different body, you know, and it, it, you know, kind of like, how does your body interact with the world? And how is that different from how like other people interact with the world? Um, And so I think that these films kind of force you to question that because, you know, it is true, like who you are before puberty and who you are after puberty are different because like your body has changed and your hormones have shifted in such a way as to make you like, you know, act differently in the world. So um, I think the body horror films are just more explicit about that. And I think, you know, at the heart of things, I think a lot of humans like fear change too. And so I think Mm -hmm. that kind of like is born of that as well. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't know. I, I, and to me in horror, the most interesting stories, you know, we talk a lot about kind of um, progressive themes and, you know, social commentary and films, commentary and films a lot. And I love that about the horror genre. I think it's more appropriate than any other genre to talk about those kinds of things. But the scariest things to me, are things that deal with like humanity and like human relationships. Think about my top pick from last year, Hereditary. Like that stuff really strikes a nerve with me when you're talking about like human relationships or, you know, the idea of the self. And I had just, when I was researching this topic, I was having so many crazy thoughts, like what can I talk about? And one thing like to think about, like just about ourselves and, you know, like think about, Again, I'm going to use The Fly as an example because I can't use my film as an example just yet because I'm going to talk about this stuff when I get to my film. But Jeff Goldblum at the beginning of The Fly and the Jeff Goldblum at the end of The Fly, completely different. Still both sexy. Still not at all. That's not true (laughs) at all. Completely different person, both mind and body. And if you think about it, though, me at nine years old and me now is also a completely different person, both mind and body. And that's kind of a scary thought. And that's what these films explore. And I know, look... I'm doing my galaxy brain thing right now. You know, I, 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 it, it sounds a little silly. I, and, but... I, and I'm like, Jeff Goldblum is sexy. That's kind of my take on the podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm Mr. Galaxy. I'm, a, I'm Mr. Deep Thinker here. But uh, And Taylor's just all about the tits and ass, but whatever. Um, no, but I think, I think, you know, even, again, I, this is the stuff I think about. A lot of, I, and I, but I know a lot of people watching these films are there for entertainment are there for, you know, this, how scary these films are. But I think 
the reason these films are so scary and I think why these films are the scariest genre of horror is because, you know, in the back of your mind, that's what you're thinking about when you're watching these films. And I think that's what makes these films, uh, that uh, even the films that we're talking about today, so great. And so, Taylor, um, I think people know what film that you picked based on our episode description. However, I was yes. really surprised when you picked this film and very delighted that you picked this film because I'm really Thank excited you. to talk about this film. So do you want to get into your film? I... 100% do. I owe a, uh, I would say I would owe a debt of gratitude to Dead Meat. I discussed their episode on this film last week. I almost didn't pick it just because I didn't want to be a copycat, but I will be a copycat because today we are discussing The Human Centipede, bah, sequence bah, bah. one, <laughs> from 2009, directed by Tom Six. Mm. I sick name. That's such a that, six name. I read that that's like his actual name too. His like actual last name is six. No way. Well, he's like Dutch, so I don't know. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah you're right. He's Dutch. I don't Dutch know if that's weird. like. I don't know if that's like an internet thing though, where he's like made us all believe yeah. that, and it'll Let's be pro- like like in ten years, like it'll be like when we all thought Marilyn Manson re- removed the his bottom <laughs> two ribs. <laughs> oh, that is my favorite favorite urban legend of all time. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, okay, oh. we've gotten we've gotten like way off. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> it is directed by Tom Six, and it stars Dieter Laser. His actual name again. These are all very, these are all amazing names. I want my name to be Dieter. Dieter um, Laser, come on. Yeah, as Doctor Joseph Heiter, Ashley C. Williams as Lindsay, Ashlyn Yenny as Jenny, and Akihiro Kitamura as Katsuro. Um, and so, respectively. Ashley Williams is the central section of the centipede. Ashlyn Yenny right, is the tail. We're going to get right tail. into it then. Okay. Ashlyn Yenny is the tail, hence Taylor the tail. Um, Gross. <laughs> and, Aki, and Akihiro Kitamura is the uh, front. Um, and and thank so, God, because his acting job he, in this film is awesome. Yeah, uh, everyone is really good. Yeah, I of mean, course, of course. I am proceeding as if everyone knows the human centipede. I feel <laughs> like I have a lot I want to say about this, so I'm going to try to be pretty brief on each of those things that I want to say. Um, I'm just going to go into a very pre- brief plot synopsis. So two American tourists, Lindsay and Jenny, the most American names of all time, um, they are in Germany. Their car breaks down. They go to, they like run through the woods to try to find somebody. They get to Dr. Heiter's house. He drugs them, kidnaps them. He kidnaps um, Katsuro and like they are all wake up and they're tied to surgical beds. And he explains to them that he's going to make them into a human centipede, which is when you your the ligaments on your knees are cut. I'm describing this, and by the way, if anyone has a weak stomach, I mean, yeah, probably I'm don't be even very listen graphic, to this episode so, at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you cut their knee ligaments so you can only walk on your hands and knees and then you are connect- connected from mouth to anus, I will say it like that. Um, and he's very graphic in the description, but I will say the reason why I think I'm able to watch the show is that you don't see that no, much. No, it's they not are super connected. graphic. It's kind of like, yeah. um, you know, uh, a modern day Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the sense that people think they saw. I, I exactly. always get the sense that people think they saw yes. more than they did. Human Centipede right. 2 is different. But yes. one is not too graphic, honestly. And so, um, and so, basically, they are connected, and he this is their his pet. Um, so it's actually kind of funny. He had originally had made Mein Lieber Three Hund, which <laughs> is my my loved three dog. Um, so he had originally tried this experiment on three of his dogs, and it had yeah. failed. So now he's basically treating 
the new human centipede as like his pet. Um, hilarity ensues. <laughs> um, and that's the film. And so I, I feel like I am not a horror fan. That's like, I'm so cool. Cause I love extreme movies. I will say out of all the films, I say, I like this one surprises people the most <laughs> because, and again, I want to just for the third time, give a lot of credit to dead meat in their episode of the human centipede. Um, and I will try to credit them where I think I've, I heard this on their show. Um, this is, uh, as you said, and as they mentioned on their episode, this is a movie that has a way different reputation than what the film actually is. And I think a lot of that now has to do with the human centipede two and three, mm-hmm. but the, but one, and I have not seen two and three and I do not plan on seeing it. I'm not interested. That's not really, I'm not in it for the human centipede aspect. I'm in it like kind of for the other well, aspects of the film. Just as a, um, just as a brief aside with that, Human Centipede 2 is about a guy who's obsessed with Human Centipede 1 and makes his own. And it, this is the one I think, I, to me, the the reputation that Human Centipede 1 has should really be reserved for 2 because 2 is pretty gross. Uh, it's in black and white, but it's really gross and really mean-spirited. 3 is more of a comedy film about a warden of a prison who wants to make a giant human centipede. Played by, uh, played by uh, Dr. Heiter from the yes, first film. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Played by the same actor yeah. um, who wants to make a giant human, like multi-dozen people human centipede. Yes. So it's more of a comedy film, whereas two is more right. of like a gore-like exploitation film. And I think one is the, the straight horror film. Uh, it's a straight horror, body horror film mm-hmm. to me. And I think the reputation obviously comes from its central conceit. But as explained in the Dead Me episode, and if you are to watch the film, there's a lot more going on. And I mean, I always feel like so ridiculous defending this movie, but I'm going to do it and I'm not I'm going to stop apologizing. Um, first of all, the body horror is just it's uh, it's one of those films that I like can't wrap my mind around still like it's still I told you uh, after we finished recording last week's episode, like I can't not think about like pooping in mouth it's like it's, it's stomach so, turning while you watch this film it is like it's like gross it it's like and i tend to have like i already tend to have kind of like repetitive like thoughts about things like where i'll get something i'll get really obsessed with something or i'll get stuck on like a thought and i won't be able to stop thinking about it this triggers that in me so intensely that like this is the first film I've watched in years and years and years that i woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and i lied awake just being like pooping in mouth pooping in mouth like I couldn't stop thinking about it you know and Uh, I think I think that's a credit to the idea but I also think it's a credit to how reserved the film actually is because I think in a film and again I haven't seen it I think in a film like Human Centipede 2 you're grossed out by all the gore and all the shitty stuff that's happening and there's just literally shitty stuff yeah there's a lot of stimulation but in Human Centipede 1 it's just like disturbing how what's most disturbing to me is how he treats the three people like as his pet. Yeah. Like that is what is really disturbing to me. And that kind of takes the body horror to an all new level because like he is trying to make them not human. He's trying to make them into a different creature. Yes. Right. He has transformed their bodies, you know, into something not human. And that is like kind of what really gets me is like, it's a very cold, like clinical film and it, it's just like it really lacks any kind of humanity. I mean, you know, and that is so disturbing to me. And there are a lot of um, great moments in the film um, that 
really kind of tug at your heartstrings like about these three characters trying to reclaim their humanity mm-hmm. and i think that's where the film has a bad rap like i think that if people were to watch it or were to at least try to put the central conceit aside just for a moment um for instance like jenny and Lindsay frequently like hold each other's hands you know and try to offer each other support um and then katsuro has like this really amazing monologue towards the end of the movie where he's like i was not a good man and like uh, you know, part of me thinks I deserve this basically, but he then he's like, I am a man and you will not take that away from me. I'm a human being, you know? And so, and of course he's another great thing about this aspect is that like he only speaks Japanese. And so like, as the only person still able to speak, like there's something about how the doctor purposefully made it so mm-hmm. that he wouldn't have to confront their humanity by by like having to hear them speak yeah. basically because he can't understand you know Japanese, um, so that's kind of my first thing. And I mean, I want to know like for you, am I totally off base here? Like, do you think like that the point of the film is that it is so gross? Because I feel like if the Human Centipede one were a standalone film, I would feel stronger in that. But then yes. he did go on to make those two other films, so it's kind of like, well, okay, like. I wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt as a director, but now I feel like you're just trying to gross people out and that's it. Well, you know? here's the thing, though. I mean, I will say I'm not as high on this film as you are. I know you really, really like it. I do think, like, you know, I do think that the more, like, high-minded uh, takeaways you can get from this film are probably half and half, like, half accidental, half he meant for it. But I also think he was... I do think he was fascinated by this idea, but I also think that he is also an exploitation filmmaker. He famously said about this film that everything in it is 100% medically accurate, which is just obvious <laughs> bullshit. So he's obviously kind of like a carny a little bit. However, I will say that a lot of like what you see in kind of a more, you know, whatever, high-minded auteur director like David Cronenberg, like a lot of those ideas that the idea that like, what the the most visceral kind of horror is one that kind of transforms your being is like present in this film and i i the most effective things to me in this film is just the sight of this human centipede it's so gross like you said the idea of this happening it's it's like gross that the shit to mouth stuff is really gross and actually one of the f- few times i actually laughed out loud during this film because there are a few moments of levity is when Katsuro just starts yelling, I'm going to shit. And you're like simultaneously <laughs> yeah, laughing, but like grossed to out too. <laughs> I was like, ew, <laughs> Ugh, gross. But um, no, I mean, it, it's more than that though. Like the idea, like seeing the two female characters, like unable to talk and like crying and you know, the, the, the male character Katsuro is like screaming and wants to get out of this. And you're like, okay, you know, he just, he, he's, like, more grounded here. He's going to be the one that saves them. But then he, like, completely breaks down by the end of the film. It's just, it's really tragic in a way that is extremely unexpected from a movie called Human Centipede. And the, this is a straight horror film. And, you know, I'm not going to, like, sugarcoat it. Because, like, I'm not going to say, like, ooh, you should give this movie a, a chance. Because if the idea of a human centipede grosses you out, you're not going to be able to handle it. Because, like, even though it's not graphic, it's still gross. But... It's a really effective horror film, and I think mainly because of these body horror aspects and the way that he plays these out in the film. 
Well, and I would agree with you. I first watched this film because my undergraduate friends bullied me into it, um, <laughs> and I was very disturbed. But I, I found myself, you know, kind of liking it. I will say, if you are interested in challenging yourself, you know, um, this would be a film I would feel comfortable recommending. Just because, like you said, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's not as gross as I think people make it out to be. I will say, like I said earlier, like it is a idea and a concept that like gets stuck in my mind and I like can't I mean I was literally thinking before we started recording this like I can't wait to record this episode then I never have to think about the human centipede again um so I did you know because we we talked about like some of the body horror aspects and so I wanted to kind of touch on the mystique surrounding this film um a little bit uh some of it does relate more more purposefully to the body horror but i felt like we couldn't bring up the human centipede which is arguably one of the most famous horror films of the past decade without getting into some of like the hubbub that surrounded it of course um so one of those hubbubs is and they said this on dead me i don't know if you had a chance to listen to that episode yet i did i did yeah yeah okay so then you know that roger ebert didn't give it zero stars he gave it no stars exactly um (laughs) and if you read his review no, I mean, you say Ugh, but like if you read his review, I I mean, my gut tells me he didn't like it. But the review does not ever say that he didn't like it. It doesn't like, like he, completely, sh- no, no pun intended, yeah, shit on the film. Yeah, it seems like he seems like gobsmacked. Like he's just like, I don't even know what to say. And then um, so the end of his review, interestingly, says, uh, well, first of all, he says within six, there stirs the soul of a dark artist, which I'm like, I wonder if he saw the second two films. Yeah, but yeah. OK. Uh, so Roger Ebert said, I am required to award stars to movies I review. This time I refuse to do it. The star rating system is unsuited to this film. Is the movie good? Is it bad? Does it matter? It is what it is. And it occupies a world where the stars don't shine. And I kind of like love that because not, not that I think the human centipede is like so beyond the realms of normal filmmaking that you can't even like review it the way you would review another film. But I think it acknowledges that like, this film, when it happened, it there was such like a conversation around it. There was so like people were just like, "Are you serious?" I remember when I first heard about it, I thought it was fake. Like I thought it was just a joke. Um, that I think that 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 like review kind of like pays homage to that. Um, even though, yeah, I'm like, there's no way he enjoyed watching that film. There's just no way. Um, so I read this other article on the Telegraph, and it's about the whole. Um, franchise and it's actually more about the second and third films than it is about the first film but there are some kind of general statements about the whole franchise the article is called why the world needs more human centipedes don't know if i necessarily yeah agree i don't know that. about that one but um it's by rebecca hawks um and then the tagline says they're silly violent and stomach turningly disgusting but there's more to tom six's human centipede films than you might think and i i actually think it's a pretty interesting article like you said it kind of goes into the differences between the three films and kind of like the relative merits of all three of them to me it sounds like especially the second film don't doesn't really have a lot of merit you know like artistic it it has like a point Um, to it i mean you know I understand the yeah. point he was getting at, but to me, it's mostly just like exploitative, gross movie. You know. Yeah. Um. And so this film actually talks about how the human centipede differs from other body horror films. So I thought that was interesting, and I wanted to kind of get into that and get your opinion about that. 
says, thanks to its extreme concept, it's tempting to link the human centipede franchise to the sort of body horror pioneered by David Cronenberg in films such as Shivers, The Brood, and Videodrome. Academic Adrian Smith has a different take on the franchise. Smith isn't a diehard centipede fan, but he does have an interesting relationship with the films. Um, so blah, blah, blah. Uh, to really get under the skin of Centipede, Smith advises taking a look at the Italian Mondo films of the 60s and 70s. Their sensationalist pseudo-documentaries are essentially compilations of bizarre documentary video footage from across the globe. One film, for example, features dogs being butchered, an airplane-worshipping cargo cult, Japanese massage parlors for drunk men, a New Guinea manhunt, and dying turtles led astray by hotel lights. The clips are bundled together and accompanied by a spuriously earnest voiceover, although the claims films claim to inform it's clear that their real aim is to amuse titillate and shock mondo kane is lurid grotesque and addictively watchable it may predate the internet by several decades but its colorful cruel clips have what only can be described as viral appeal and so they kind of goes on to talk more about like mondo films or whatever but i actually thought that that was a pretty accurate reading almost of like especially it seems like the second and third human centipede films where it's just like you can't look away like you know it and and later on it says this same guy he teaches a film class and like he overhears his students talking about like viral videos um of people like getting hit by cars and stuff like that and he's like why do you watch that and they're like I don't know like someone dared me to do it and I did it you know and and it's funny that like when I first watched Human Centipede because someone like dared me to do it basically you know and I I don't know about you, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this. I, for things, it's like, I draw a line because, like, if Tom Six is going to pretend like this is medically accurate, it's not like he portrays these films as documentaries, like, they're very clearly films. I do think for films that are very clearly films and not faking to be documentaries, I do think there is value in just, like, shocking, totally out there, like, weird films, because, like, we as a species crave like variety, you know? And it's like, there's something about just watching something so totally different that you're just like, what is going on that? I I don't know. I just, it it just scratches some kind of, well, it's interesting that you bring up those Mondo films because, oh man, I could go on this topic that we're talking about right now. I could go on forever and ever because this is the kind of stuff that really touches a nerve with me and that really scares me. And I think there is a connection between like these Mondo films that also kind of like fake snuff, like homemade movie, that type of stuff, and the body horror because there's something about these types of films that kind of like, you know, really scare us to our core because it says something like about our humanity, whereas body horror films kind of like make us question our humanity and like, you know, think about transformations of our bodies, these fake snuff Mondo type of films, like make us question like other people's humanity in a way, like who would, who would make this, who would find this entertaining, like who would want to watch this, but yet we're watching it ourselves. So I think, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up because in a way, when I watch like a film, like, um, you know, I can't think of an example. I'll just say like Mondo Kane or something, one of those Mondo films or like a fake snuff film like August Underground. I get kind of the same sensation watching those of like, you know, like it's dangerous for me to be sitting here watching this film that I do yeah. like when I watch a body horror film like The Human Centipede because it's like, why am like at a certain point you think like, why am I watching this? Like it's like yeah, the idea that I'm even watching this is scary. 
and and I my reaction to the first human centipede, which is which was like obsessive thoughts and like feeling like scared, was not really like fun. You know what I mean? And so that makes me not want to watch the second and third ones because I don't think there will be anything I get out of that except for to be able to be like I watched them, you know. And so I, I feel that same way about yeah, like fake snuff films and stuff. Like I don't have an interest in watching that because like. It, I think it would just mess me up, you know, and not in a well, fun it way. Do, not like in a it messes me up, way. and it, but it's also like, you know, I've gotten to this point with horror where it's like, I want something to scare me. Like, I want something <laughs> to scare me. And, you know, I will say, this is the third time I've watched Human Centipede, and I still felt a little scared. I still felt a little disturbed yeah. because, like, again, I'm not a huge fan of this uh, film. I would, you know... I, I, I will take that back. I really like this film. I'm not as huge of a fan of this film as you are. But sitting there watching it, like, I didn't look at my phone once. I was disturbed yeah. the whole time. I, like, in a weird way, like, it's like I knew it was happening. But, like, the idea of it's still so gross and, you know, grotesque. Um, you know, it, I, I, on one hand, it's like, why am I watching this? On the other hand, it's like, oh, I'm scared by this. Like, this is what I'm looking for. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it, it is it – is, I don't know. I think it's just it is just a it's unique truly film. Indescribable. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, I'm stuttering over my words, but it's a very unique film uh, uh and you know in the same way that a lot of these other films we're talking about are as well. Yeah. So that's the human centipede, the first sequence. <laughs> I feel ridiculous even saying like that's even That's the human um, centipede. <laughs> Let's talk about that um, name too. That is such like a childish name for this thing he's creating i mean it's too. technically, it's technically I mean, true I guess it's, but it's so i guess i don't know it's so pure um i there's a lot more we could say about this film i kept it mostly to like the body horror aspects of it i will say that of all of the horror films i've ever watched this is the one that i could i literally could i, I couldn't stop thinking about it and not in a good way so <laughs> If you're someone like me that tends towards like obsessing over things and not necessarily in a great way, um, I might not recommend it, to be honest with you. I wouldn't say like I wish I had never seen it because I do like it. Um, but if you're someone who like is an, uh, or someone who's really grossed out, I probably wouldn't watch it. But this is this is precisely yeah. how I felt about the vomit scene in Audition when I watched that movie when I was 16. It. Yeah, shook me. that one doesn't bother me as much for it some shook reason. Me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, but if you, if anything that we said like triggered an interest in you, then I would say mm-hmm. check it out because uh, I think that it is truly a unique film and it is truly one of the most talked about horror films of all time. Mm-hmm. And you can be like, yeah, I've seen it, and this is what it's I think. It's not that you bad. Know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's all right. I'm fine. Taylor, as long, you've God, given as long me... as you're a fucking front, you're as long as you're the front, as long as you're. Katsuro, yeah, well, that's like, true. Good. And just screaming, I've got a shit. <laughs> uh, you've given me a lot of ideas for future topics in this discussion. So I would say it's been very successful. So. Oh, that's that's horrible. Yeah. But OK. <laughs> anyway, uh, on to my film then. So I'll, I was thinking, um, you know, this is one of my favorite topics we've ever covered. And a lot of times when we do topics, I try not to do films that I'm like crazy about, you know, cause I like, you know, I don't want to talk about like Texas Chainsaw or the Halloween or the Shining every single time we do these episodes. You know, I don't want to like, I want to save some for future episodes in case we talk about like top 10 oh, yeah. all time or stuff like this. Yeah. yeah but I this time that. I was like, you know what? We're doing one of my favorite horror topics. Like I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to be like, Oh, I'm going to do, you know, 
The Brood or something. I'm gonna like, no, <laughs> fuck it. I'm gonna do my favorite body horror film, and this is a film that's in my top 25 of all time, and it is 1983's Videodrome. It is my favorite David Cronenberg movie. It's my favorite body horror movie. Let's do it. It stars one of your favorite it stars of all time. Deborah uh, Deborah Harry. Yes, exactly. No, okay, you know I wasn't talking about Debbie Harry. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, fine. Directed by David Cronenberg, starring the incomparably douchebaggy James Woods, who has blocked me on Twitter. Fuck you, James. Uh, Congratulations. Well, he has he's been banned from Twitter as of like late April, so fuck him. Uh, if you're listening to this, James, fuck you. Don't email us. Um, anyway, uh, it's also starring Sonia Smith, and as I said before, Deborah Harry, who is not sporting her classic blonde hair. She actually has. I did not recognize her at first. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Where's Debbie Harry?" Exactly. You know? Yeah, she I, she dyed it. Uh, red. They say she red, but it looks more like brunette-ish to me. I mean, she what do you? Looks amazing. She, she. I would say it's Auburn. 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 Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not good with the hair colors. Um, she's a total freak in this movie too. I will say yeah. she's. Uh, Okay, I got to give credit where credit's due. James Woods is actually very good in this film. He is a oh yeah, he's amazing douchey douchey person in real life, and he plays a huge douche in this film, and he does it really well because he's a douche in real life. So there <laughs> yeah, you go. True. Anyway, um, so I I love this film. Um, I I think this this film is kind of like the perfect mesh in the same way that The Shining is to me, like of high minded ideas and like pure horror, like. I feel like you could be any type of viewer. You could be like a snobby like person or you could just be like, uh, well, apparently you can't be Justin and watch this film and like it because apparently we'll get to, we'll we'll get get to, to that. that. But anyway, I feel like anybody could watch this film, get something out of it, whether it be entertainment or like the high minded ideas that David Cronenberg is talking about. But let me get into the plot. So James Woods plays Max Wren, who is the president of a, uh, TV corporation called Civic TV that has sensationalistic program programming and kind of looking for he's looking for content that will attract a new audience. He meets um, with his uh, I guess the guy that operates his uh, satellite for the uh, it's like an illegal satellite that kind of intercepts transmissions from around the world to see you know if I can find any new content. Uh, this guy's name is Harlan. He's a huge huge nerd and apparently Mexican because he keeps speaking Spanish or something. I I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know why I said Mexican. He could be Spanish or, you know, Guatemalan. <laughs> he could be any type of Spanish speaking from any type of Spanish. Oh, I'll country. have to we cut that. Him. That's for sure. Okay. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, he, he intercepts this uh, station called Videodrome that's like broadcasting like torture and murder and, and in this like weird room with like a clay wall. And, you know, the first thing that we see um, is like a woman being whipped against this wall and there's all sorts of nasty stuff snuff like things going on uh, and eventually they realize they initially think this is coming from malaysia they eventually realize it's in pittsburgh go figure um and this movie's set in toronto so you know pretty close uh pretty close to where they are um but meanwhile uh max is on this talk show about his sensationalistic programming with uh nikki brand who is played by deborah harry uh great name nikki brand sounds very mm-hmm. sounds like she could be a blondie too um but anyway she's kind of like a a self-help psychiatrist on the radio, a la our mom's favorite, Dr. Laura. And um, also there is the incredibly, also incredibly named uh, Dr. Brian Oblivion. And Oblivion spelled O apostrophe Oblivion, kind of like. Oh, it's amazing. It's crazy. But, you know, Nikki Brand's on there kind of being like, Max, you're awful. 
um, for all this shit. And Brian Oblivion is just saying a bunch of nonsense. And among the things he says is like, TV is the new retina. You know, we see these things and we live the reality. And you're like, okay, this guy's a wacko. Oddly enough, the, the most confusing part of the film is immediately uh, Max and Nikki start dating. I mean, go figure. Uh, when they when they go on a date, and I'm going through this plot, and I'm realizing this plot's a lot more complicated than I thought. It it really does not play out like this when you watch it. It's a very straightforward plot, and I know I'm going through a lot right now, uh, but trust me, it's uh, very straightforward. Um, anyway, back to our regular scheduled programming. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Max and Nikki very confusingly go on a date. Uh, and when he takes her back to the apartment, he does what any man would do and shows her this torture and uh, snuff stuff he would, you know, he shows to, pretty, I guess, everyone that he sees. Um, but lo and behold. I uh, I particularly like that this is a man she's just met and she goes over to his house mm-hmm. and she's like, do you have any porno? I'm <laughs> like, good for you, Nick. She's <laughs> great. She's, she's the best character in the film by far. Oh, by far, um, yeah. So he shows her video drum, and they have this gross uh, sadomasochistic sex uh, in, a, in probably the most uncomfortable sex scene I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe someone, a uh, goddess like Deborah Harry, had to have a sex scene with a ghoul like James Woods. Uh, but, you know, there you go. Um, and shortly thereafter, uh, Nikki uh, goes to Pittsburgh, and she says she's on assignment. But later he finds out, you know, she's gone there to just, like, find out what's up with video drum. She was really quite titillated by it, apparently, uh, which is... Well, yeah. Well, she thought she, you know, she it thinks it's to everyone fake. as if it's fake. Yeah. yeah. And she's into like BDSM. So she's like, this will be fun. For yeah, me. exactly. Know? Exactly. We're not kink shaming. No, 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 no. I, I am James Wood shaming because any sex that he has is gross. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so Max, uh, he wants to find out more about Videodrome. He contacts his pornographer who makes uh, this uh, amazing uh, film that we see on screen called Adonis, which is just a bunch of Greek people with their shirts off. It's cracking yeah. me up. Um, but amazing. she tells him that Videodrome is real, uh, number one, which, you know, big shocker there. But she also tells them that Videodrome is leaked to Dr. Oblivion, who earlier had appeared on the talk show with Max. So when Max Max goes to Dr. Oblivion's shelter, shelter which is called Cathode Ray, where he uh, <laughs> makes everybody watch television, like homeless people watch television in his uh, shelter, um, which was a really it's strange but anyway he meets with dr oblivion's daughter who shows him a videotape of dr oblivion who says that uh videodrome had caused a tumor in his brain which caused him to have hallucinations and in the meantime you know max has been ever since max started watching videodrome he's having these weird hallucinations at one point um he picks up the uh, the videotape of dr oblivion's recording and the tape breathes which is like a really creepy scene i thought the effects on that were awesome um but anyway um, he finds out that Dr. Oblivion had helped create um, Videodrome to help make TV the new reality. Um, and uh, But he found, found out that the people he was working with were trying to use Videodrome for a malevolent purpose. And Max has been kind of... Shocker. Yeah, yeah. I, it's not too surprising to me, but, you know, whatever. Um, and Max has been affected by this. At one point in the film, he gets home from seeing Dr. Oblivion... And he puts in another videotape, and it's um, Nikki on the screen in Videodrome. And then the, the screen, like, she's talking to Max directly, and the screen stretches out to kiss him. And it's just a lot of real bizarre shit going on in this film. And, and he's a total ghoul. He's a total ghoul in this film. He's actually <laughs> as shitty 
Uh, it, again, it's great acting. I'm not going to lie. He plays this, this you know, shitbag to perfection uh, because, you know, of course he did. Um, but, you know, um, after this, vi- uh, Max tries to, Max um, gets called from the creator of Videodrome. And I'll kind of leave it there, uh, as I usually like to do. I like to leave a little bit to the imagination. And where this film goes is interesting, uh, if not totally you know, I, it's unexpected in a way. I thought the ending is very unexpected and kind of leaves a lot t- for me to be desired. If I had one kind of like weak point of this film, it would be the ending. But the the shit that goes down in this film is absolutely um, bonkers. Um, you know, you have a TV screen exploding into organs. You have, um, you know, uh, someone getting shot and turning into like hamburger meat, basically. And you're just like, well, what the fuck just happened? You have... A guy's hand turned into a gun. All sorts of crazy effects in this film. And I'll get into more of that in our later uh, trivia segment. But what I'm most concerned about... Okay, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Oh, you get ready for the trivia. Uh, I have a really interesting one for that. But first of all, uh, I mean, to get back to our topic about body horror and all the themes we discussed, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. And if you want me to talk about this first, I will. But what does this film mean to you? What does it mean? And if you... Oh, my God. That's so hashtag deep. Um, well, I mean, I read it as like a critique kind of of like consumerist like culture and like pop culture. Um, it kind of it reminded me. Well, first of all, parts of it re- reminded me of like Twin Peaks, like David Lynchian type of like weirdness. Um, but it actually kind of reminded me. I don't know if I just have John Carpenter on the brain, but it reminded me a little bit of They Live where it's just like you ostensibly are watching one thing or you're consuming one thing, but it's really like doing this other thing to you. So it's like you're watching Videodrome for entertainment, but it's actually like brainwashing you and like, and then it makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do. Um, And so that's kind of what I read it as, but I don't know about that interpretation because like, I don't really see, and I mean, this movie is great and I really liked it and I liked the body horror, but I don't really see how the body horror directly ties in with that except for that it like changes you as a person like so you know that that kind of gets to my theory that's a good segue from my theory because what i think this film is about is about how this modern technology and i have a, a quote here about how it kind of applies to modern day and how it was kind of a prophetic film how modern technology is not just affecting like the way that we think but is affecting like ourselves and the kind of person that we are after max watches videodrome in this film he literally gets a tumor in his head that causes him to kind of like become a killing machine at one point in the film and if you think about it the way we were consuming television in the 80s or the way that we're consuming like the internet nowadays has really not just kind of changed our behaviors like you know people look at their phones all the time and all that stuff but it's literally changing our brain chemistry like you know more people are adhd now than has ever been recorded i mean more people are um you know there's some positive aspects to that we are connected you know i can talk with someone in you know china well maybe not china but (laughs) maybe japan uh yeah you talk with your friends i talk with my friends in japan instantaneously so there's good aspects that has improved our quality of life but you know these this modern technology is literally changing our bodies in kind of the way that you know Max, I, I, Max's brain was changed. He got a tumor in his brain. And I think, you know, that is how television, how the internet has affected us. Now, I do think there is a more regressive 
uh, reading of this film, and I kind of call it like the violent video game theory because he watches something violent and then does something violent. But I I really don't think that was kind of the point of the film. I think that kind of could be like a surface level, level reading of the film, but I think what happens later in the film, and I know we are spoiler-free on this podcast, but I am kind of hesitant to do it because I really I love this film so much. I want people to go out and see it and have a reason to see it. Um, I think what happens later in the film kind of dis not disproves, but like is evidence against that theory. Um, but just to kind of get to what I was talking about, how, um, you know, how prophetic that this film is, um, there's an article called David Cronenberg's Prophetic Videodrome. There you go. By, nice. by Nathan Jurgensen in the uh, in the magazine Futurism. And he said that, you know, he talks about the concept of digital dualism. A lot of times we think of like, let's use, you know, the internet as an example. Like we have an internet life and we have a real life. But Videodrome, and, and think of a movie like The Matrix. You know, I just watched, I recently watched The Matrix again. And in that film, you're in The Matrix or you're out of The Matrix. You, there, there's no like synthesis. You're either, you take the red pill mm-hmm. or you take the blue pill. I always take the red pill, of course, because I'm a badass. But yeah, uh, 100%. anyway, that is kind of like a movie that's about digital dualism. But David Cronenberg's films, including Videodrome, are a lot about a lot of times about digital synthesis like that all of the stuff that we consume tv internet whatever it is it's all part of our life and all like affects like our character and um you know our who we are and mr jurgensen says videodrome remains one of the most powerful fictional representations of technology self-synthesis and i think the the reason this is so like important for a film like videodrome which is a horror film because you know the the vision of the matrix is really scary the idea that we're living in like a computer world but i think the vision of videodrome is even scarier like not only do we we don't there is no there's no like online and offline it's like all one thing we've become so intertwined and i guess you know we can say that's not a bad thing we can say that's a good thing in some respects but i think in a lot of respects with how the internet has gone the last 20 years that's a very scary thing to think about that these things are a part of our lives and i think that is really what um, Videodrome's about. And I think that's, that is really where the horror of this film comes from. You know, he was talking about television in the 80s. And if you think about, you know, we watch like sitcoms from the 70s and 80s or The Simpsons or something, you know, the, the husband comes home and just watches TV and then goes back to work, comes home, watches TV. Like the idea that you're not separate from that, like virtual reality is a very scary one. And I think that's the ultimate kind of message of Videodrome. Um, and I think that's where the horror comes from. I think that's why it's so scary, um, especially on repeated viewings. I think this is a film where you could watch it in your first viewing and see kind of the visceral body horror um, and be be like, what the fuck is this? This is like strange. But I think even on repeated viewings, like when you kind of get these messages and realize what the movie's about, it only becomes more scary. And that's really why I love this film so much. Yeah, and uh, something that you said about The Matrix uh, made me also think of Pulse, which we covered on our J-Horror episode, which to me is a little bit more similar to Videodrome in that there is a internet existence that follows you and is part of your, like, day-to-day life and that, like, changes how you interact um, with the world. And I think that that theme is also present in Videodrome, like, and I, I think it's also characterized by like 
the homeless people at um at the cathode, cathode ray, ray yes at the cathode ray like it's like a salvation army where they watch television and i spent a lot of time because i watched this with justin like i spent he finally watched a horror movie with me <laughs> folks i know everyone is very excited um i spent a lot of time asking him like why are they watching TV? And and like, but kind of like talking about our, you know, in discussing it with you today, I it maybe that's another nod to like how, you know, what we consume, our digital life, you know, is our real life, and you need to consume digital media in order to participate in in the real world because you know there's a lot of subtext about how homeless people um, or houseless people are like not members of mainstream societies for like a variety of structural reasons and so the fact that in order to bring them into society they are watching tv like i feel like there's like more to say there too that kind of relates to like this overall theme um i I don't know i kind of wish that had been explored a little bit more in the movie but this movie's so bonkers and like goes in so many different directions but i don't actually think it had time but i I, that's kind of like the theme that struck me the most like weirdly enough like after i watched i was like i get that this is a body horror film but it felt to me more like like an early 2000s like japanese film which is like obsessed with technology and how it affects like our lives well i just think it's a film i mean Obviously, I love it, so I think this. But I think it's a film that was very ahead of its time and has a lot to say yeah, about no, modern society. Yeah, it feels society. ahead of its time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just the same way. That, I mean, he's just, you know, he's just a great filmmaker. I mean, you know, he, uh, Fly felt ahead of its time. He made Crash 10 years before another Crash won Best Picture. And his Crash is about people having sex because they're sexually aroused by car crashes. So much better than the <laughs> Academy Award winning Crash. But... Yeah, I know. Um, I don't necessarily love that you made me watch this like highly uh, sexually charged and with sexual undertones <laughs> film. Um, you made me watch but... Human Centipede, Taylor. Yeah, you're right. We were very <laughs> fair to each other this week. I don't like the body horror in this film. I'm sorry, I could not get over the slit in his it's stomach. It's so gross. It's it so looks gross. like a vagina. It does. Yep, it's meant and... to. I think. And I was thinking a lot about, like, how he's pulling out stuff from it and, like, how that is, like, his new life. I don't know. It's getting maybe m- too meta with it. But, like, at the end of the day, I was like, that's a vagina. Like, I can't. He was you know, pulling I- things out of that yeah. stomach vagina the same way he pulls things out of his ass when he posts on Twitter. All right? Whoa. That's a political message, folks. Okay? That's right, everybody. Anyway, <laughs> before we uh, close out with video drum, I want to give you this highly anticipated trivia. Now, folks, I got this oh, yeah, from both Wikipedia and IMDb. So I was scrounging the internet for some good uh, content. You know how much sweet I love tent. to give the sweet, sweet tent to our listeners. <laughs> now, the Stretch TV you want to know what the stretch TV was made out of? Are you interested by that? Or do you want me to just leave it on Silly the Silly putty. Nope, not even close. So obviously it was a video projector that was you know, putting the image on the television. It was a sheet of rubbery dental dam that was used to create the bendy effect. Would you okay, in so a million years again, have guessed that? <laughs> more sexual undertones to this film. <laughs> it is so, so... I don't know. I might have, if you had given me enough time, I might have circled I Not that. in a million years would I have guessed that. But they said they tried to use a weather balloon. That was the thing that, like, that came closest. But then, like, someone came up and was like, here, try this. So they were just trying to different things. They were like, oh, this is perfect. Dental dam. So they threw their weather balloon in the trash. So um, also another interesting thing, you know, this film is so focused on VHS tapes. But actually, 
Um, they used Betamax tapes in the film as opposed to VHS tapes because Betamax tapes are smaller and they couldn't get that slit in his uh, stomach to open up any wider. So they were actually using okay. Betamax tapes. That's I guess that's not as interesting as the dental dam. But, uh, okay, no, this one's going to cool. blow your mind, all right? Okay. Maybe not as much Shit. as the dental Wait, dam. Is there a guessing component? I love to guess. So, no, there's no guess. I, unfortunately, this Damn is it. a straight fact. Um, so during the uh-huh. mission scene where everyone's watching television, so obviously this is back in the day, uh, you know, uh, a lot less better infrastructure and all that stuff so they were using so many tvs in this scene and there's one shot where you can see like it's kind of a uh on about like a balcony shot where you can see everybody watching the televisions they were using so many tvs that they one of their um one of their crew members was outside and saw the um uh, electric line smoking so that's how <gasps> wow. many that's how much electricity they were using but um the the dental dams uh, trivia was the that best might be the best piece of trivia I've ever given on this show actually <laughs> but anyway that uh, is some sweet sweet uh, tent oh I have a bit of trivia for human centipede oh uh, that I heard on dead meat is that at the end of each filming day all the actors got massages because they were Aww. on their hands and knees all day yeah Damn, that but, makes me uh, want to be in the human centipede I know but Dieter did not get a uh, massage because he stayed in character on set which I'm sure the other actors appreciate that must have been insufferable oh my god <laughs> <I know. laughs> but anyway, anyway. <laughs> um, so that's Videodrome I look I'm not gonna lie and say that you know everybody's gonna enjoy this film it's you know it's it's for people with like yeah Justin had some words about it well. He uh, he's not on this podcast now, is he? So how about that? Well, I want to share his opinion because, like, weirdly enough, so he was like, it didn't make sense. It didn't have any internal logic, and I tried to tell him that like a lot of horror movies don't have necessarily the best internal logic because like they're more about like the feeling, you know, yes. and they're more about Ideas you know, or feeling or something. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, which is fine. I mean, I think that's a that's, fair criticism yeah, of this film. But today I was at work and one of my coworkers who's also really into horror movies was like, what did you do this weekend? I was like, I watched Videodrome. And he's like, that movie doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. Maybe that's like something that people think about. I will say, I I think Lynch is a good comparison, sort of. I think Lynch is more out there, maybe even way more out there. But if you're a fan, (laughs) if you're a fan of, you know, like Blue Velvet or films like that. Who isn't a fan of Blue Velvet? Well, I know some people that aren't, but that's that well, is yeah. what it is. But uh, <laughs> Roger Ebert, we hear you, okay? Uh, but anyway, if you, I'm not gonna again, I'm not gonna lie and say like this movie is for everyone. It, I just think to me, it is a classic horror film. It is David Cronenberg's best film. Um, if you want a more accessible Cronenberg film, I I can't imagine people not enjoying The Fly unless you're grossed out really easily. We've mentioned that a few times, but to me, it's Cronenberg's best film, one of my top 25 favorite horror films, and I'm just so glad I got to talk about uh, this film. Uh, And finally, fuck James Woods. Taylor, uh, what have you been watching, listening to any of that this week? Okay, cool. We're moving swiftly. Fuck James Woods. Fuck James Woods. Well, okay, wait, wait, wait. Actually, you know what? I should give a little denouement about uh, – wait, is denouement the right word? A conclusory um, statement. because I, I don't know what you're about to say. Well, I just want to kind of wrap up the body horror theme and, and oh, just okay. say yeah, – you like shoved me into the last second. Yeah, I ready. just – you know, I'm just angry at James Woods still. But um, so I think, you know, it, I think you said, you said earlier in this episode that the two films that we picked are uh, separate ends of the um, – body horror spectrum and I think that's totally right I think you know this is not a genre that everyone's going to enjoy because it's so like just disgusting uh, viscerally disgusting however I think you know these two films especially 
um, are kind of great representations because it kind of tests like these are like really good entry level body horror films because it kind of tests you a little bit. Like, are you gonna are do you enjoy watching this? Like, the, if you watch these two films, you'll know whether or not you enjoy this genre, whether or not this is something that will scare you, uh, whether or not so, this is something that will kind of challenge you. So, um, I think you know more so than maybe any other topic we've talked about, these are two very representative uh, films for our theme. So I'm really glad to be able to talk about this. And that is body horror, folks. Wow, anyway, Taylor, do you want to uh, do you want to talk about, uh, let's move into our next segment and just where we talk about kind of things we've been watching, reading, listening to, uh, you know, dancing to, I guess. I, sure. I talked about music one time. Anyway, go, go yeah. for it. Um, well, first of all, we both saw Ma and we did, um, do a mini episode of that, which is out now. And so if you haven't checked that out, I definitely recommend it. So we get more into that film, um, in that episode, but I really enjoyed Ma. You really enjoyed Ma. There you go, folks. We really recommend it. The next film I finally got around to watching because I promised my mom I would watch it with her. Then she tried to watch it without me. We got in a fight. It was like this whole thing. Um, <laughs> I called crying. She called crying. We made up. <laughs> um, she So she came to Tallahassee to visit and we watched Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile, which is the Ted Bundy movie starring Zac Efron. You, I'm sure everyone has heard of it. Um, there was a lot of mixed reactions to this film online, especially after the first trailer came out, because a lot of people said it was glorifying Ted Bundy. Um, I personally did not get that impression from the film. I will say I am someone who is very familiar with Ted Bundy, both as a true crime fan and as someone who lives in Tallahassee, which is where he committed one of, you know, one of his very atrocious murders or a few of his very atrocious murders, um, I just don't think that's the tone of the film. I think that the first trailer was a marketing misstep. Um, I think that we can't help it that Ted Bundy was conventionally attractive and that Zac Efron is attractive. I think that's where a lot of the criticism of the film comes. But I would argue that Ted Bundy like got a lot of his victims by being a conventionally attractive man. And I think that the film kind of explores that in a really, really meaningful and interesting way. And so... I, I would understand, like, people not liking kind of a sensationalized account of, like, a real story. I don't think that's what this film is. And I will also point out that Ted Bundy is not alive anymore. And, like, he cannot benefit from publicity um, the way he could when he was alive. I would feel probably differently about a film that was about, like, a famous killer that was still alive. Um, and so, overall, I really liked the film, and I would suggest people check it out. I feel comfortable recommending it uh, personally. And um, so, yeah, that's all. That's all. All the horror stuff I've horror movies I've watched. I also did want to point out that I have been wrapping up. This is like horror adjacent, but I have been reading um, a Parable of the Talents, which is um, an Octavia Butler uh, book. She wrote uh, Fledgling and Kindred. Um, I don't know if you're like an Octavia Butler fan, but I really am. She writes really good sci-fi novels and this isn't like horror and it's not even really that sci-fi, but it does have like a lot of horrific things happen in it. And I like really recommend her as an author for people who are kind of interested in like dark fiction basically and like science fiction and stuff like that. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that Justin and I went to go see The Jungle Book on Saturday. It was very good, and I had a lot of fun, and I was glad to watch something that wasn't The live-action Jungle Book? 
Yeah, oh. it was me. I loved. Yeah, I really <laughs> liked it when I saw it in theaters. And I, yeah. if we're gonna talk about non horror stuff, uh, you know, laugh at me all you want. Well, okay, I have two films I want to talk about that are non horror, and very very okay. briefly. Uh, one was incredibly delightful. Detective Pikachu is a delightful, <laughs> delightful movie. I loved it. I really want to see that. It's really good. And Taylor, you're going to love it because we both loved Pokemon when we were kids. You'll recognize a lot of the Pokemon in the film. And Pikachu is a, just an adorable little scamp. Uh, the other film is, as of now, the best film I've seen all year. The best film I maybe have seen in my entire life. John Wick 3 is <laughs> breathtakingly incredible. <laughs> I mean, that is not the best film you've seen in your entire life, Taylor. I, I'm like tearing up just thinking about it. I'm (laughs) dead serious right now. I'm not lying. I love that film. Chanel hasn't seen it yet. I cannot wait to see it again. I my biggest regret in life right now is that I can't see it for the first time ever again. I wish I could just erase my brain. I was my adrenaline. That's how I feel about the human sense. (laughs) That's disturbing. But my adrenaline was pumping so hard. I went to go see it with Justin, and my adrenaline is pumping so hard after that film. I just wanted to like get out there and just scream as loud as I could. Um, Anyway, I highly, highly suggest John Wick 3. But um, in in terms of actual movies that are kind of horror-related, that the reason we have this podcast, um, I have two films I want to talk about. First is The Clovich Killer, which came out last year. Ooh, I still haven't seen that. Uh, I watched it with producer Natalie when she came to visit me in Tampa, and she had already seen it, um, but... And when I suggested She's it, very edgy. well, when I, I suggested it to her, she was immediately like, "Yes, you have to watch it. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it." And I was like, very impressed and very upset that I hadn't seen it already because it would have made my top ten list most likely uh, from last year. And Taylor, I, it's about a serial killer. I think you'll love it. If, I know. Um, yeah. My one problem I've been having with a lot of horror films, and I'll get into this in my next film, is the endings. I thought the ending wasn't terrible. I just thought it wasn't very strong. It is what it is. It doesn't erase the first hour and 45 minutes of the film. And I highly suggest um, anybody who's into uh, serial killer um, mysteries. If you're a fan of Summer of 84, it's a similar type of mystery as that film, minus like the 80s nostalgia stuff. So you might even be into it more. Highly suggest that film. The other film, Taylor, we have to talk about The Perfection. We talked about it initially on our last oh, yeah. podcast. I had watched the first 45 minutes, which is perfect, because I was like, oh, this film is fantastic. <laughs> watched the last 45 minutes and uh, was very disappointed by the ending. Mm-hmm. I was just... where and I won't give any spoilers, because this is a very, very recent release on Netflix. Where this film went, I was just like... I thought it was very schlocky. I thought it was very B-movie. It relies on kind of, I would say, problematic ideas and problematic tropes in horror films um using certain things as plot devices if you are if you are like triggered by like sexual abuse or sexual assault do not watch this movie i'll just put it that way which is a spoiler but i will yeah yeah. that's kind of what i was dancing around during our last episode because i didn't want to spoil it for you and i knew that that not that it's not an issue for you but that it wouldn't you know ruin your day um but i have to say because it's been over a week since i've seen this film and i do still think about it in in a positive way um i wasn't sure if it would stick with me um and it has and I feel like this this is the type of film that uh, almost suffers from being in such a horror-heavy and horror-positive environment. This is the type of film, I think, that had it come out, uh, you know, a few years ago, it would have made a bigger splash and would have had more positive reviews. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but as Josh on Horror Movie Podcast said once, like, 
we're spoiled like and we we tend to nitpick things that we probably wouldn't otherwise nitpick i'm not excusing any like the problematic aspects of the movie but you know that's what, to me my only problem with it one thought i so, did have is that since we've done this podcast i've just literally watched hundreds of horror films you know the past year yeah and you know i've gotten more and more to the point like I've had this thing happen to me where like I'll enjoy a movie for an hour and then the last 30 minutes will ruin it for me and my memories of it are skewed. Right. And that's definitely what's happening here because the first 45 minutes of this film are close to perfect for me. I would like it yeah. was like eight, nine range. Um, and then yeah. because of the ending, the end, the last 30 minutes were like four or five range. So I'm kind of landing at like a seven overall. But, right, and I'm yeah, and I and I agree with you that like a lot of recent horror films, um, the endings have fallen flat. I don't know what it is. I don't know again if we're just spoiled. I don't know if, you know, horror films are trying to be more ambitious. Like, but yeah, I would say like a lot of films you and I discuss are like I didn't like the ending, but the rest was good. And so I've really tried to reframe my internal like kind of ranking and rating of movies, and not just be like did it end satisfactorily? Because I feel like that counts so much towards our overall enjoyment of a movie when maybe it shouldn't yeah. as much. So I don't know. That's just something I've been thinking Me about. Me too. Recently. And actually, it's weird. I There's a certain film that I need to rewatch from earlier this year because my my estimation of it has gone up drastically since I watched Hole it. Hole in the ground? No, no, that is oh. not it. I don't want to... I wasn't sure if that I don't want to say <laughs> if it is because it, you know, it could end up on my end of the year list, but... Um, my estimation of the movie has changed drastically because it had a satisfying ending, I think. And the whole hmm. overall experience of the movie is like intact to me in the way that for the perfection, it is no longer intact. Um, so hmm. I think with both of these films, and I, both the perfection and the other film I'm talking about, I need to rewatch them and see how I feel about that. And I certainly will yeah. before I release our um, top 10 later this year. Um, however, one final thing I just wanted to say is that um, I've been listening to a new podcast almost religiously um i've listened to about 25 to 30 of their episodes because i enjoy it so much it is the horrible podcast who uh that the folks from two of the individuals from there were featured on who will survive that's how i found out about them um they were featured on an episode that featured one of my favorite um japanese slasher movies which is a genre of about 10 movies or so um (laughs) the evil dead trap and that's i was like oh these guys like this film i want to i want to listen to their podcast and i really like it Uh, Because it is unique in that it is four people, which when you hear it sounds kind of like too much, but it, I almost feel like, you know, sometimes you listen to a podcast and you like the people so much like horror movie podcasts, you're like, you feel like you're in a conversation with them. I definitely feel this way with them. And they, you know, they goof around, they're longtime friends, they goof around, they talk about the films, they have great insights, they talk about films that are fun and not commonly talked about. They recently did an episode where they talked about the last three films of the Friday, uh, the um, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And I'm like, now I want to watch all three of these because the way they're talking about them. Um, I just really enjoyed it. And um, we reached out to them recently about borrowing one of their ideas for a future episode, which we'll be doing uh, in about a month or two. And they were just really nice to us. And I'm really gracious for that, for them letting us steal their idea. And we will, of course, give <laughs> them full credit for that when we do that. But Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, but, um, yeah, I would highly suggest this podcast. It's very just, you know, again, you wouldn't think a podcast of four people would work really well. But it's like being in a conversation or, like, hanging out with friends or something. I just really have enjoyed it. And um, 
again obsessively listening to that now and really really having a good time but um, cool yeah. yeah i should really i started listening to an episode and then i had to stop because um one of my favorite podcasts came out with a new episode mm-hmm. you know i got very distracted anyway of but course. i'm gonna have just to, so many podcasts out there yeah oh my god we listen to so much sweet sweet tent all the time i know it's, yeah. folks we're doing all this for you okay we don't yeah. do it for our own <laughs> enjoyment we we actually hate listening to other people's podcasts. Sorry, guys, but I know I was just praising you before, but um, please don't take back. Uh, please don't let us use your idea. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we love please. you. Oh, God, we're desperate. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, but, well, cool. Yeah, no. Uh, and so that's that's our episode for today. Um, you know, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening again. Um, Taylor posted recently that we had our um, thousandth listener, which is very exciting for us. Um, you know, we're, we popped some champagne last episode. We're still really pumped about that but um you know always love to have some new listeners uh make sure to recommend to your friends um reviewing uh and rating on itunes or what the hell is it called the podcast app uh really helps yep. itunes is about to die actually very soon so uh there you go but what does that mean uh, apple is replacing it with a different streaming service i guess oh, but okay. anyway it's the, called the apple podcast app yeah um, but we're also on stitcher you can rate us on stitcher and we're on spotify you can't rate us on spotify but you can still listen yeah to it. absolutely <laughs> and um like i said just you know uh, if you can uh recently chanel recommended us to one of her co-workers i hope you're listening right now and if you aren't fuck you then uh but no, okay no no please listen <laughs> we need all the listeners right um now. i don't know why i'm so defiant when i'm trying to get us yeah. but you got really torn up like you got really up there about james woods and you haven't come back I, to yeah I'm, I'm i'm like after john wick three i'm just full of adrenaline right now i've had three beers during this recording it's just i'm all I've over had the place so much stroop waffle liqueur that like i don't know which is <laughs> but um yeah anyway yeah it'd really help us out um i mean you know we're Help help us out is kind of like abstract. We love to get new listeners because we love interacting with people about horror films. Um, if you want it, uh, email us at ourrealfilms at gmail.com. Our Instagram is ourrealfilms. And our Twitter, which desperately needs more followers. I'm tweeting into the void right now. And I am only have... <laughs> the void is not even screaming. The void is not screaming back. It's just me screaming my guttural scream after watching John Wick 3. Um, that is ourrealfilms with real spelled R-E-E-L. Um, and, uh, I think that's it, right, Taylor? That's all we got? Yeah, you, I think you got all the information in there. And a lot of John Wick references, I, too, I so cannot, it, now that you got me on the John Wick trick, can we just do an episode about John Wick next episode, please? He kills someone with a pencil. I once saw him kill three men in a bar. With a pencil. With a fucking... Pencil. I mean, you know... You know I ride hard for Keanu Reeves, okay? You know that about yeah. me. Yeah, we, we really should do Bram Stoker's Dracula one day, which he oh, has God. the worst acting oh, performance of all time. I want to do a Keanu Reeves episode where we do Bram Stoker's Dracula and Knock Knock, which oh, I've been trying God. to convince everyone I know to watch for the past two Eli Roth's so. magnum opus. Uh, <laughs> anyway, folks, thanks so much for listening to us, and we'll uh, see you next time. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye, folks. Yeah.